0: This is the Scott Bradley Show Podcast.
1: We as a city will be spending up to $500,000 in an attempt to woo Amazon and bring its new headquarters here along with the 50,000, give or take, high paying jobs, the $5 billion capital project to build a 8 million square foot new headquarters. We've talked about it before. It absolutely, unquestionably would be a city changing moment. Our city right now, this push, we're now calling it, it's very clever, Hamazon. You can go on to Twitter and with a hashtag, Hamazon. Uh, the man who is uh, leading this is the mayor of this city, Fred Eisenberger. He joins me now. Mr. Mayor, thanks for joining us.
2: Great to be with you, Scott.
1: I, I love the can Twitter. I, can,
2: I, can I answer the dot question?
1: I'll, I'll put you on hold afterwards and I'll let you do it because I know you're smart enough <laughs> that you will get it instantly. And The, uh, the Twitter handle, Amazon, very, very creative. Yep. I love that one. Was that yours?
2: Uh, no, that was one of our active, uh, smart young, uh, young bucks that, uh, came up with that. Very clever. And, uh, we're going to use it. And, uh, I think it I, I think it says everything that we need it to say.
1: It is. It is very clever. I give you that one for sure. Uh, yeah. looking at this bid, and we've been talking about this now here on this show and on Bill's show and on Scott's show and everywhere else, it's been a, a mm-hmm. huge topic. Um, half a million bucks is not exactly nothing, but I'm wondering if when you look at, what the pot of gold potentially at the end of the rainbow is if it ultimately becomes a bit of a no-brainer to try and make that move?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we uh, when we look at uh, what what their criteria are and what they're looking for in a community, uh, you know, we can check them all off. Uh, you know, Hamilton, I think, is well-positioned geographically, as well as we have the assets, we have the land masses available, we have uh, the international airport and, uh, and we have a, uh, you know, a, a, in our geographic regional area, certainly a population base of a million and, and many more. So I think Hamilton is well positioned and, uh, I think we're, uh, we're, we're very excited and enthused to, to pursue this. But I, I, I must tell you that we're not just pursuing Amazon with this. So yes, we're going to put in a, a proposal. Yes, we're going to, going to put our marketing uh you know minds together and our accounting minds and all the things that are required to put a good uh, request for proposal in a lot of detail has to happen there but we're also going to position Hamilton through this as a, as a destination for others to consider as a, as a potential investment opportunity so we're gonna we're gonna maximize the value of the money that we're going to spend here to not only appeal to Amazon but to others as well that uh, that might be thinking about another location for them to invest
1: so how do you do that then once you have this bid put together do you just print out 500 more copies and blast them out to all kinds of other businesses or or, or do you wait for them to show interest and then you send it? how does how do you do- do that, maximizing beyond Amazon.
2: Well, I think it's it's a matter of uh, y- using the tools that we create here to to use that marketing and spreading that out to uh, to other industries, but also getting that uh, that kind of media exposure. And uh, obviously, there's uh, there's going to be an interest in uh, getting some uh, some some vibe going that uh, that says that Hamilton is a good place to be, and we want that vibe to kind of spread out to uh, you know areas in North America. So we're we're going to use free media. To appeal to, uh, you know, a broader audience to, uh, to not only consider uh, us for Amazon, but to consider us for, you know, any other potential users that, that are out there that are looking for a landmass, a, a, a well-educated, uh, well-educated, uh, you know, a community, um, uh, a number of universities that are training uh, computer uh, computer engineers, which is what Amazon is looking for. And, uh, and an international airport, and a, a lake port, the largest lake port on the Great Lakes, and a number of opportunities in our city that could house uh, you know facilities and buildings and, uh, and uh, uh, new opportunities that can land here. Is
1: that what you, you put out a YouTube video, a very nice, little short yep. uh, YouTube video, and one of the lines you had in there is, we're going to wow you. Is that, is that yeah. what you're talking about, or do you have something else in mind that is going to be the wow factor for Amazon?
2: No, I think, I think we're, uh, we're working on the wow factor, but I mean, the wow factor is our quality of life and, uh, and all the assets that I just uh, finished talking about. Uh, but we're gonna, we're obviously gonna present it in a, uh, you know, a, hopefully a unique way. That uh, that will uh, get attention and uh, and impress upon them the values that uh, we we like to espouse here in Hamilton. So I can't I'm not going to tell you what that is right now. We uh, it won't be a wow factor if I tell you now. So uh, we're going to make sure we're going to make sure that we uh, we 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 get the you know the clever innovative minds working on this to uh, to present it in a way that uh, that gets attention that uh, impresses it upon them the kind of the kind of uh, you know areas that they're looking for in terms of what they want to see in a uh, in a community that they want to invest in, and uh, when you put all of that together and we uh, we present it the right way, uh, it will not only get Amazon's attention but it'll get attention throughout North America.
1: If I ander- understand correctly, half of the five hundred thousand is going to be potentially taxpayer money and half is going to be private funds. Is that correct?
2: That's that's correct. Yeah.
1: Does that complicate anything? If we were to win, that there is then something owed to these private companies, or that they get to have first no. say in anything else, or does that, or are they just going in because it would? Well, why are they going in?
2: Well, they're going in because it's good for 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 business for everybody. So it's a good community effort. Uh, you know, if, if you if you manage to land something like this, and and you uh, over time generate uh, you know fifty thousand more well paid hundred thousand plus jobs, computer computer engineer jobs. That is not only good for Hamilton, it's good for business in Hamilton. So those uh, that are in business have an interest. Uh, our major institutions have an in- interest. Uh, other municipalities in the surrounding area have an interest. So uh, we're going to put all of that together and have them participate in uh, something that I think um, they can all benefit from in, in terms of, uh, you know, our s- being successful, getting on the short list and then uh... hopefully working towards uh... you know being the being the chosen one that doesn't mean though that we we you know we we dismiss the notion that we're going to be competing against a lot of other communities mm. there's no question about that but you know what if you don't uh... if you don't uh... buy a ticket you you can't win so i think this is a great opportunity for us to not only demonstrate that we're capable of uh... you know up, approaching and uh... and putting in proposals of uh... this kind of uh... this kind of nature but uh, that we can also uh, be competitive with other major cities around North America, and you know, there's no reason why we can shouldn't consider ourselves a major city. We are, and uh, we ought to act like one and uh, put our put our best foot forward and let people know that we're uh, we're in the game and we're in it to win it
1: beyond your and the city's capability as a city are we are, are any Canadian or Ontario cities ha- handcuffed a little bit by the restrictions on what a city can and can't do as far as offering incentives and offering cash bonuses and that kind of thing does that put Canadian cities at a disadvantage in a competition like this?
2: well o- only if that's the only criteria and I, I don't we don't believe that is so you know quality of life, uh, whether or not a community is congested uh the kind of land masses that are available you know they they 're all on kind of an equal footing, so you know the uh, the incentives are not the only thing that amazon's going to be looking at they 're going to be looking at a whole suite of things that uh, is going to appeal to employees that want to be located in a certain community and want to have a uh, you know a decent quality of life and so uh you know all of those factors will come into this so Yes, uh, you know, other communities in the United States have a greater ability to provide cash incentives. Uh, we have ability to provide land. We have the ability to provide, uh, you know, tax incremental financing or to defer financing. Uh, we are prohibited from bonusing in a direct way, but I, I don't think the money in terms of uh, incentives is going to be the only issue. It is much more and much broader. Uh, package that they're looking at that uh, that uh, you know like like international airport now how many how many communities and in, uh, in uh, you know North America have an international uh, capacity airport uh, you know right in their community not 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 all so certainly the major players would have that so the calgary's of this world and the Vancouver's and the Torontos the Ottawas the Hamiltons. Uh, you know when you get to smaller communities it's just not part of the uh, part of their kind of uh, uh, asset base, so that excludes a lot of other communities that uh, might otherwise be thinking of of their potential so I, I would say it's not all about incentives it's all about quality of life it's all about uh, whether it's congestion it 's about immigration in fact uh, you know when you look at uh, the the challenges that uh, that the United States is having through immigration uh, we are much more uh, efficient and much more streamlined and a, a much more welcoming community when it comes to immigration. And when you're going to land 50,000 more employees over 10 years, they're not all going to come from Hamilton. They're going to come from uh, varied uh, places uh, with the, the the right skills in place. So I would say that uh, that is going to be a particularly unique advantage for Canada.
1: You have been obviously giving great thought to this. I, I'm sure a lot of people in the city uh, have been giving great thought to this. Have you, in your mind, sort of put together the pieces of if this was to happen where it could go like where where is the land or where is the space where we could do something like this within the city
2: well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into that except to say that uh i mean i don't want to prejudge with the, the proposal before it gets out there so it, you know you don't have to you don't have to look too far to uh to look to see where uh you know these kinds of facilities could be built uh you know the uh The parking lots we have downtown, the Tiffany lands down at the waterfront. Uh, Now, there there are, you know, a whole range of potential options that we can uh, put on the table that are available that would make up a 100 acres. Um, You know, we're not looking and it doesn't all have to be in one place. So their, you know, their model in terms of uh, Amazon is much more an integrated model in the community with various buildings spread out throughout an urban area. And, uh, you know, they're not looking necessarily for a campus or one location where it all has to go, so it, it can be spread out around the community and, and provide benefit in the uh, in the areas where they actually reside so that the, uh, there's a spillover effect into the broader community, a much more city-building-oriented type of development process.
1: doesn't have to be so Apple, have, in other words.
2: No, it doesn't have to be the Apple or the Google, the, you know, major, major complex where everything is internalized. What they're more interested in is externalizing their employees in, and integrating them into the community. And I think that's a very positive step for cities. And, uh, and we certainly fit that, uh, model quite nicely. And we have a number of places throughout the city where all that could happen.
1: Last thing, before I let you go, um, if this was, and again, whether it's a long shot, whether it's not, but if, if everything aligns and somehow Hamilton ends up at the end of the road and they say, we're going to come here, mm-hmm. how does that change the city?
2: Well, I mean, it's uh, it's transformational. You know, there's no question when you infuse uh, you know that many uh, you know well-paid uh, you know high-end jobs with innovation uh, attached to it. And this is uh, you know this is not a distribution center. This is now a high-end uh, you know uh, uh, innovation and research center. That's looking at, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, that's looking at, uh, you know, drone capacity and, uh, you know, how, how cars move through uh, through community. They're doing an enormous amount of research and looking at all of those disruptive technologies that is going to be the next wave of development uh, going into the future and how we're all going to live. Uh, that is going to transform not only Hamilton, but it's going to transform uh, Ontario. Uh, wherever it lands if uh if we're successful enough to bring it even to Ontario it's going to be transformational it's going to be uh, highly skilled jobs it's going to be high paid jobs and it's going to be uh, a center of innovation and creativity that's going to uh, spread throughout the community not not only in in Amazon but uh, w- it will attract others uh, like-minded uh, like-minded organizations to come and feed off of that energy so it is uh, truly a transformational uh, um, opportunity.
1: Mayor Fred Eisenberger, always appreciate the time, sir. Thank you for doing this tonight.
2: Thanks, Scott. Have a good night.
1: You as well. That is. Uh, it, it, look, it is. Uh, I think the word transformational is a perfect word. And we've discussed on this show whether or not all the transformating, all the transforming, <laughs> making up new words now, whether all the transforming... Is going to be great. There are people who are concerned about this because they say, "Oh, look, house prices are going to go up, property values are going to go up, costs are going to go up, all that kind of stuff." The reality is, on balance, on balance, yes, there will be things that would be affected, but on balance, if you dump, as the mayor just said, fifty thousand high-paying jobs into the city, and then you factor in the spin-off jobs that are going to happen from that—the restaurants, the, the contractors that need to be hired, the builders, the this, the, that, the, I mean, start going down the list and you realize what an impact this would have on our city. And, and one of the things that we hate to talk about, everyone hates to talk about, I know that people get bored of this and I, I, I grant you, I'm bored of it, but it's important. We have a three point something billion dollar infrastructure deficit. We've talked about this before. Every show on this station has talked about it before because you can't get away from it. This city has over $3 billion worth of repairs and upgrades and maintenance and needs to its infrastructure that we don't have the money to do roads, buildings, all these kind of things that just need not to add new things, just to be fixed up and maintained and brought up to modern standards. You bring in 50,000 people making, they've said, over 100 grand each, and you start factoring in how much more then comes into the city's tax coffers. Suddenly, you're actually in a position in this city where rather than us being scrambling and scrounging for nickels and dimes, we would, assuming it was handled with diligence and handled carefully, we would suddenly be able to have money to start looking after some of those things, many of those things. There would, I don't, I don't take issue with the people who say there would be problems. There would be some downsides. There would be crowding in certain places and what that sure, that's true. There's always going to be something, but boy, oh boy, if this to me. For what it's worth, you can disagree with me. You're always, you are always entitled to disagree with me. I've never once on this show ever said you can't disagree with me. But for me, a guy who tends to be on the fiscally conservative side of things, who doesn't like throwing money around, taxpayer money, ridiculously, the, the, the possibility, the chance that this could end up here or near here somewhere. Even if it was somewhere in Mississauga or down in Niagara or in Waterloo, the chance that something like this could land here for $250,000 of taxpayer money, that seems like a reasonably good bet. I don't want to bet on everything. I don't want to gamble on everything. I don't want us to spend our, our taxpayer money on everything. But that seems like a good shot to at least get it out there because if by utopia, if by miracle, this thing lands here that $250 million immediately becomes $5 billion plus the tax dollars, plus the spinoff costs, plus the money that's spent in this community. It's, a, it's a, a, a 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 fold increase. It is it is like winning the lottery. I don't want to see this happen with every company. I don't. I don't want to see us spending $250,000 or $500,000 for every single company. But for this particular thing, even if it sounds like this is a longest of long shots, it's still, to me, worth taking a shot at it. And they are. And you can go on Twitter. It's Amazon, H-Amazon, Amazon hashtag, um, if you want to keep up on, uh, on what's going on with that. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Earlier this week, a story broke that researchers at a university in Boston, I think it was Boston College or Boston University, I'm not sure which one, are close to a test that could determine if an athlete, if a person, it doesn't have to be an athlete, but specifically this was about athletes, if an athlete had or was beginning to show signs of CTE, that's the brain injury, the brain damage that can come from, they believe, come from concussions. Until now, that's something that has always been discovered post-mortem, in an autopsy, when they cut your head open and they check your brain, they can find it. But before then, there may be symptoms, but there's no real way of knowing. Well, now it appears there may be, or we may be close to a way to find this out. Now, why is this significant? Because I know many of you, and I'll be honest with you, it happens with me too. I'm not going to lie to you. You hear someone on the radio, on TV, in the paper, whatever, start to talk about concussions and you go, oh, again? Again? Well, here's why this is different. Here's why this is interesting, and here's why this is relevant. Because if this is true, and if doctors or scientists could now determine whether or not a player on a roster had a brain injury, this would seem to me to open up a hole. It could help the guy or the woman, but boy, would it also potentially open up a can of worms. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH, our buddy, joins us. Bubba, how are you tonight? Not bad there, Scott. So if this is true, if this test comes to fruition, and if doctors could now take a hockey player or a football player or whomever and do a test on this person in the offseason or during the season to see, and they discover that player X has CTE, they have brain damage that they believe is now caused by their sport, would that team not then be obligated to, to sit that player out because he could no longer safely play the game that he wants?
3: Um, I think on a, a human level, absolutely. But where does it go to and where does it start? Exactly. Right? I mean, no, exactly. And and, and, and I mean, I when I heard this news, I, I my first thought was more on a macro level, just looking at the big picture of all of this, was, you know, Enrollment in the United States in football is decreasing at a rapid rate for obvious reasons. Um, Now, even though there are well over 200 schools that the NFL or even the CFL um, in terms of college would have uh, in terms of a selection of players and the amount of players that are playing the game, it's still going down. So what, what worries me is if a player who is a highly touted player coming out of college I mean, let's be honest. If this test works, and I mean it's years away. Let's be, you know, let's tell our listeners that too. But if this becomes a test that teams use, it will become a test that everyone looks at before you even draft a player. Yes. Right. So that will narrow the the amount of players that will be able to even get to the professional level as well too. I mean, I, as it stands right now, there's not a waiver that players. You know, would sign to say, "Okay, well, you play at your own risk," sort of thing. Nor do I see that happening. So, at the end of the day, what this test tells me is that there's going to be less players at the pro level to choose from, if that makes sense.
1: Sure. And the the other thing is, though, remember, and this is the same, and I I believe every professional sport, it's the same. These teams have insurance that they take out on salary. So, if Bubba O'Neill, my running back, blows out his knee. I, as the team, am not on the hook for the entirety of paying his salary while he recovers. They do have insurance. I can't believe that any of the companies that cover insurance for these teams, if this test comes to fruition and you find out that Bubba O'Neill, my running back that I have on my team, has CTE, they're going to say, no, we're not covering that. We're not covering his house. So you you can keep him but if he gets injured or if there's a lawsuit or if he has another concussion or whatever else you're on the hook for that and th- those teams aren't going to want that. Yeah, absolutely
3: They're not wanted, they won't do it, right? There's no way a franchise is going to be on the hook for that. And then it opens up all kinds of legal things as well too in the fact that a player will okay, waived the insurance, but then the the team said okay, you know, the, the team and the player had a handshake agreement. I mean, that gets into crazy legal stuff. There's no way that will ever ever pass. So this, like I said, opens up, as you said in the very beginning, it opens up a huge can of worms. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't know how teams are going to handle it. I guess this is good news that when you really think about it because players will be able to look at their health and determine that, you know what, maybe it's time for me to do something else because, you know, uh, I have 50% brain damage or I don't, I mean, we don't know how this is all going to get diagnosed but there will be, you know, a doctor to tell you that, you know what, in your best interest it's not it's not to play football.
1: We have heard and I can't remember the exact numbers, but you've heard them too. The the of the players who have passed away who left their brains to science. The the percentage it's in the high 90s, I believe. Percentage of those who have shown signs of CTE. I can't remember the exact number, but it's it's an extraordinarily high majority of those have had some kind of brain damage. If that carries on though, Bubba, if this is, if this is something that isn't just in the dead players, but if it was in most players and even close to the same percentage, this would be something that quite literally could really kill the sport of football. It really, I mean, this is the one thing that you would look at and say, look, if if they can actually do this test and suddenly 90% of men who are coming out of college have signs of early CTE, there is no game.
3: Unfortunately, I never see that. Ha- I can't see that happening, Scott. I-, I don't ever see the sport not continuing. Uh, for all kinds of reasons i mean i go on and on why i don't see that but but <laughs> i but yeah money obviously being the number one thing there gambling i get on and on but uh, i but yes i do, but that's why i said up what i said up the top i do believe that that can have a serious serious effect in terms of how many the pool of players mm-hmm. that the NFL and the CFL will be able to choose from and let's take it a step further what if uh, many high schoolers are tested uh, And
1: parents will want want their kids tested. You know that.
3: Right. So that will reduce the amount of players that will be able to even get to the, the U.S. college or the Canadian university level. So, yeah, I mean, will this change the sport? It quite possibly will. But I still believe that football will always continue. There will always be an NFL and a CFL.
1: Yeah, it, it is really, if you're a football fan, this is the this may be the ultimate good news, bad news scenario if this test comes to fruition. Because the good news is you don't want the guys that you're watching 40 years later drooling and unable to speak or remember where they are or what day of the week it is. You want these your heroes to be healthy. But at the same time, if you're a football fan, you also don't want your sport to be Purged of half or three quarters of the people who could be playing. And and you know what? Who knows? Who knows if this study, I mean, we don't know if this is accurate, but boy, it sounds like it's got some possibilities and it'll make things very, very complicated. And not just for football. Let's be clear. This is not just going to be football. This will be hockey. This will be. There are tons of concussions apparently in women's soccer. There's boxing. There's MMA. This could be earth shattering for a lot of sports.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But if football does get sort of the. I think the bad label because I think it ignored this problem. Probably, it's probably the most well-publicized, obviously because of players, you know, lawsuits, that kind of thing. Uh, The other ignorance that was shown by the National Football League for many, many years in Mm -hmm. the '60s, '50s, '60s, '70s, maybe even the '80s. uh, We've had, we've seen the most cases of players players committing suicide i'll go as far as to say what uh, aaron hernandez did yeah. in you know in in killing at least was charged for uh, and convicted for killing someone and later you know took his own life and now we found out just two weeks ago that he had you know uh, unbelievably massive amounts of you know the the cte you know um I guess whatever yeah. they measured the CTE levels i mean so much that they said the levels were equivalent to you know a late a man in his late sixties
1: they'd never seen someone his age have that much before, and we don't know we we can't say that that caused him to do what he did. he was a troubled guy even before he got into the league but but um yeah, it but, becomes very complicated and and the other thing is players who would say. I don't want to be tested. I'm. I don't want to know. I don't want to have any idea what's going on. I would rather just play and take my chances. I go back to the teams and the insurance companies, and they're going to say, mm, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, no, you. We got to know because if something happens to you, we're not. We're yeah, not going I to be on the hook for brought- this."
3: Yeah, Scott. If if this if this study comes through and this becomes a proven way to prove that I believe that every that every player will be tested at probably every level.
1: Just like you know what? It'll be just like drug testing in the Olympics. Absolutely. It'd be different, but same kind of thing. You you want to play, you take the test. Absolutely. Let's stick with football for a second, but on a different note, because we heard this week that the CFL has said that conditions have been placed on Johnny Manziel. Of course, the the long story, Johnny Manziel, former Texas A&M college superstar quarterback, went to Cleveland, to the Cleveland Browns, did not have much of an NFL career, has trouble with cases or allegations of domestic violence, with partying. He's on the Hamilton Tiger Cats negotiation list. They show some interest in signing him. The league says, you got to talk to us first. And now the league has said, you may be eligible next year if you keep your nose clean, uh, but not until next year. First of all, any doubt in your mind that he will be in the CFL next year I'm, with someone?
3: If I put my doubt level on a percentage, it would be
1: 1%. He's going to be playing for somebody in the CFL.
3: Somebody. I, I, I'm I, going to tell you I'm going to raise it to 2% of <laughs> <that's> my <laughs> level of doubt that, you know... <laughs> Right now, when we go to Tim Hortons field um, for press conferences, I'm going to say on a regular, there's probably you know, you know y- your colleague Drew Edwards. You might, there's, there's probably a selection of four to six media members there. I'm going to tell you that in the beginning of June in training camp, that, that room will need to have an overflow room. There will be so much coverage of, the, of this guy. Being right here in Steeltown, right here in Hamilton, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Man- Johnny Football, you know, the comeback kid getting his career going right here in this city. And, and it's going to be a reality. ESPN, CBS, Fox, CBC, TSN, Sportsnet, CHCH, CHML, everyone will have a representative there. This is going to be a
1: huge story. And it won't be because they all want to see him play football. It'll be for the same reason that there's going to be 7,000 cameras at a lo- at a Nevada jail on Monday when OJ Simpson is released. <laughs> yeah. Because they want to see if Johnny Manziel is going to implode again. Because the guy, the biggest story for Johnny Manziel often has been the off-field stuff more so than even the on-field stuff. Yep. And so you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. It's going to be huge. Now, is he the guy, though, that the Hamilton Tiger Cats should be signing? Because they have his rights right now. I'm going to say
3: yes. I mean, I've watched him, you know, at all levels. I mean, he was one of the first rookie players to ever win a Heisman Trophy. When you look at a lot of his stuff from the NFL, there are some spectacular plays. He has a natural instinct. At that position, which I think is perfectly suited for the Canadian Football League, his ability to run, his ability to pass, his ability to pass on the run, I could go on and on with his skill set. Now, is he prepared to mentally focus for 20 to 25 weeks and lead a team? That is the question that will have all of those cameras and all of those reporters will be following him to see if he is, you know. He said, even on his, on his um, Facebook post, you know, after the decision was made from Randy Ambrosi, the CFO commissioner, to, to say wait till 2018 and reapply, basically, to see if we can approve a contract. He, he basically said, I'm ready to play. Now, I will give him the benefit of the doubt. People are allowed to have second chances. In his situation, not the Art Brow situation, but in this situation, he's. I think he's. I think we all should give him a second chance. And I say this respectfully. In the maybe not for all of us, but and I said this on the show on CHH the other night. I can look at my life, and then when I was 21 or 20 years old, and I'm a much pers- different person than I was at that age, in terms of maturity and responsibility.
1: And to the best of my knowledge, you didn't have $20 million in your pocket. Boy, can you imagine,
3: you know? I mean, and he has been a, a gifted one, you know, in terms of privilege, going all the way back to his high school days, right? So no, no wonder this guy's head was probably not in the right place. But he, maybe he's come to the conclusion that, hey, I was born to play football. I missed football. I want to, you know, be great one day. And if this is the opportunity that he needs, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens.
1: I just hope when he shows up and I I really think he will be in Hamilton that when they give him the map of Hamilton, someone at the Ticats' office will have taken an eraser and wiped out Hess Village. So <laughs> so he doesn't even know about the place.
3: You'll you have bigger fish to
1: fry like King Street West. <laughs> well, I suppose. I mean, we got only a minute here. Do you th- do you see any way the Thai Cats trade him rather than signing him? Because whether or not he can play, the one thing you know, and the Ticats have had a very difficult off-the-field season, I think selling some season tickets is going to be tough. I think the Tigers keep him, if only because for exactly what you talked about a moment ago, you'll be able to move some tickets if you're selling. Saying Johnny Manziel is going to be here,
3: you darn tootin'. And I, and I'll tell you why, because in my opinion, Zach Caleros has, has played his last game as a Tiger Cat. Uh, Jeremiah Masoli is a free agent at the end of this year, so I could easily see you know some type of movement with Caleros, and maybe Masoli comes up. Comes back and the job will be you know up for grabs between
1: the two Manzel and uh, and Masoli. It would be interesting, and I use though, and I'm I'm trying to choose a word, and and I I'm being trying to be uh, understated. Interesting, I think, would be the nicest, most understated way to say what it might be by next year.
3: It, you know, it could end up being a great story because the way it sets up with the CFL contracts, the way they're designed now, he would be here for a minimum of two years
1: or. It may be interesting, or June Jones may be standing in the center of the field wearing a, a top hat and, uh, and tails for a jacket with a big you know conductor thing conducting the circus from the middle of the thing. Who knows what it would be like? Who knows if June Jones will even, I mean, there are so many questions about this right now, but I think Johnny Manziel is right at the top of that list. Uh, listen, always appreciate it, sir. Thank you for your time. We'll be watching you at 11 o'clock tonight on CHCH. Thanks. Yeah, much the time Great stuff That is uh, Bubba O'Neill From CHCH You can uh, As I say See him at 11 o'clock tonight Johnny Manziel There is no question Whoever gets him Whether the Ticats Trade him or keep him He will move tickets And that's why I think He will be here They need to move Some tickets this year That Art Briles thing Hurt them Justifiably so They need to move Some tickets And make people forget About what happened This year That may be the The way to do it Circus or not That may be the way They think they can do it You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. If you were, I don't know where you would have been today if you did not hear people talking about Hugh Hefner. Everyone knows who Hugh Hefner is, right? Hugh Hefner was the guy who started Playboy. He passed away last night, late last night, I guess it was, uh, at age 91, still in the Playboy Mansion. I don't know if uh, he ever actually stepped out of the Playboy Mansion. That seemed to be the, for the last number of years, he seemed to be... Housebound in the Playboy Mansion. And it was the talk of the day today with lots and lots, I mean, on Twitter, on Facebook, all in conversation, everywhere you went, people were talking about the guy and the, not everybody, but the largest number of people that I heard from the male side We're talking about how, I mean, the the sort of the the funny line that was being offered was, you know, normally when someone passes away, you say, well, he's in a better place. And they're all saying, no, Hugh Hefter could not have been in a better place. How could he be? Look where he lived. Look what he did. Well, that was the line. Uh, Guys talking about basically how he lived the dream. Spent decades sleeping with beautiful women inside a mansion and partying and living the lifestyle and women on social media today and talking about how he helped them, how he helped their careers, Pamela Anderson and Kim Kardashian and all these other people and Cindy Crawford and all these people talking about how he was the guy who pushed them on to greatness and women talking about how he unleashed the mm, sexual revolution of sorts so that people were able to be more free with their sexuality. And it was very much a, by and large, I thought today, a very positive, very Hey, Hugh Hefner was a terrific guy. He was a wonderful guy who did lots of great things for society kind of feel today. And I got to be honest, I find that kind of sad. I really do find it kind of sad that that was the perception. I'm not, I'm not dumping on a guy who we can be sad that a man has died. There's no question about that. We're not, we're not dancing on anyone's grave by any stretch, nothing like that. It's just that I'm not entirely sure. And and I'd love to hear from you on this one. I mean, male, female, doesn't matter. I would love to hear from you on your thoughts on Hugh Hefner because I'm, my feeling is as I look at the entirety of, pardon the pun, I mean, there's going to be a million puns in this one unintentionally, but the body of his work. I just don't know that what he did and what he brought to society is something that At his passing that we should be celebrating and holding him up as a beacon of someone who did great things for the planet. I just don't, that's not how I feel about Hugh Hefner. It isn't. He may have been a wonderful man, but the stuff that he did, I'm not sure it's something we should be celebrating and reveling in of the great things that he brought to the planet. If you want to call in on this one, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Zero zero. Those are the numbers if you want to jump in on the Hugh Hefner discussion. But here's why. Here's why I have a problem with this. And there's a bunch of reasons. But the biggest one is because at its core, the underlying value, the underlying principle of what Playboy, the clubs, Playboy, the lifestyle, Playboy, what the magazine was all about is treating women as objects. You can't get around that. This was the underlying basis of everything that it stood for, the Playboy Clubs when the girls were dressed as bunnies. Read the stories. Go online today. Go back and read the story that Gloria Steinem... Now, I'm not, I'm not a huge Gloria Steinem fan. She has done some great things, Gloria Steinem. <clears throat> but she went undercover at Playboy Clubs. She had an agenda, I understand this, but you talk, read about others as well, the stuff that the way the women were treated was not exactly, you know, it wasn't the highest level of equalness. It wasn't the highest level of equality. It was, Playboy was about, whether you like it or not, whether you agree or not, Playboy at its core was about women being valued for their appearance and for their body. That's All the other stuff that you want to say about Hugh Hefner, that's where it starts. That is what this thing is based upon. Which I got to be honest then is why it was so confusing to me today to hear actually so many women talking, saying such lovely things about his achievements and his impact when he passed. Because I don't understand. I really don't understand. And again, I would love for someone to try and explain this to me. I don't understand how any feminist could defend this, could defend him, could say that he is someone who brought great things to our society. We'll get to some of the stuff that he is said to have done, but at the bottom, the core, the foundation of everything that he stands for was that women are bodies and to be judged on the quality of that body. Just if you've ever seen a Playboy magazine and basically everybody has you know exactly what every single pretty much Playboy playmate looked like it was the same body type it looked like Barbie small waist big boobs big hair beautiful face but we're at a time i mean our prime minister tells everybody all the time that we should all be feminist that it's all it's all about equality it makes it difficult for me to understand how then you can turn around and say that what he did was helpful or good or all about equality. Because essentially, if you go back to, I think the first year that he did the magazine was 1953, if I have my year right. It's either 53 or 58, but I think it's 1953. What Hugh Hefner did was take soft porn. It was soft porn. It's not like some stuff, but he turned porn into a mainstream thing. He normalized it, he made it easily accessible. And who was it back then? Who was the who was it uh, and still probably up until the end? I mean, the magazine's still going, but who was it who got that access? When we talk about how he made this accessible, who got access to this? Well, go on Twitter today or talk to people. The guys who are on there talking, saying, hey, way to go, Hugh Hefner, great job. Thanks for what are they thanking him for? Well, they were basically saying because they got to see the magazine when they were kids because dad had one or uncle Bob had one or their older brother had one or the neighbor had one. My, my best friend's dad had a subscription. So yes, I saw them when I was a kid, because when you're a kid and there's a magazine like that around, well, yeah, well, yeah. And some, a lot of people, maybe most people will say, well, that's completely harmless. Don't, how can you get bent out of shape about that? It's, It's true. I didn't grow up to be a maniac. I didn't look at a Playboy magazine when I was a kid and grew up to be a maniac. But if we believe what we say about how we want to treat women, respect women, not objectify women, not judge women on their appearance alone, where do you think a lot of those concepts originally came from for a lot of people? It's not something I do, I don't think that you're born with that. It comes from somewhere you are taught that kind of behavior you're taught what people are supposed to look like and today and I mean I could I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put anyone on the spot I was gonna say I'll ask Lisa but I don't it's not about you know just because she's a woman but I, I am Lisa grab the mic for a second because not about you but how often have you heard other people other women girls Talk about issues they have with their body, how they're not happy with it, how there's something that's not right with it or they're unhappy or they feel whatever about it. I'm guessing it's often. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a
0: common problem, especially not even not just as teenagers growing up in high school and everything where there's constant criticism. But even as adults, we're, you know
1: supposed to look a certain way I have friends who say oh I'm cheating I'm cheating I'm I'm supposed to be on a diet right now I'm so fat and I'm like you're not fat and so where are some of the places that those ideas come from it's, I'm not saying it's entirely Hugh Hefner. I'm not saying it's entirely Playboy magazine, but they are one of the places that established the guidelines for what a woman is supposed to look like in our society. Yeah, and I was actually looking at this up because I was kind of intrigued, Dad, that you mentioned it. Uh, apparently, his for, uh, former uh, Playboy bunny and his former uh, girlfriend released
0: a memoir in 2015 saying that he would encourage body issues, like body image issues between his girlfriends to, you know for competition competition. That's not
1: great. So yes, so we have women, we're talking about, it's a huge issue now that we talk about it, that women, young girls, teenagers have eating disorders, have other body issues. Well, again, it's not all on Hugh Hefner. I'm not putting it all on Hugh Hefner, but he was one of the leading, the front of this line of things that I, again, maybe I'm completely missing it. I wasn't old enough to be around in the early 1950s. But I don't recall when you go back and you read stuff about the fifties, you didn't hear women. Maybe they were, but as worried about how their bodies looked back prior to all this happening. You're flawed. You need something to fix. Hey, yeah, you get some, get some work done, get whatever. But at this point, see here at this point, well, let me hold on. Oh, he hung up. We'll get, if, if he wants to call back, he can call back. I'm sorry. I left one of our callers on hold there for too long. But at this point now, because The people who are those who would look at the body of work that Hugh Hefner done, they look at this and they change the topic a little bit and they say, yeah, okay, this was about sex and this was about naked women and this was about centerfolds and all the rest. But more than that, this was about free speech, that Hugh Hefner was a champion of free speech. He's a hero for being a First Amendment warrior, much like Larry Flint with Hustler magazine and other people. Well, that's that's there is something to that. There is a point that you make where you say yes and we just talked about it last night. We're talking about the kneeling with a flag, the anthem, all that stuff. You either believe in free speech or you don't. So there is that and that is, that is some kind of defense but at the same time, Look at our society. If this was a guy who broke the boundaries and made the world a safe place for people to have unpopular or against the grain opinions, we haven't really come all that far. We are no great society for free speech. We like free speech only as much as we agree with free speech or it's convenient for us. He didn't really break down the barrier so that everybody could say everything they want. I mean, I I couldn't help but think of this today. Someone mentioned the name and I kind of went, wait a second. Tim Tebow, everyone knows Tim Tebow. When he was still playing football, he would take a knee to say a prayer after a touchdown. And he got zinged for it over and over and over and over again. There's a guy who is trying to live life one way, and he gets ripped for this. Hugh Hefner dies, a guy who was, by definition... A pornographer, and we con- we we compliment him. We have so many people saying what a great thing it is, and what his contribution to society was. That is a very odd contradiction. And you want you don't like Tim Tebow? Take any other person who did something that maybe wasn't as popular, but was not something like this. And mm. so the next defense, then, okay, so it's not just about free speech now. The next defense is that he. Loosened society a little bit. He opened us up to be more free sexually. We weren't so repressed. We weren't so prudish and, and, and everything else. And that, depending, you could have that argument whether that was a good thing or not a good thing, that we could be a little more, a little less freaked out, a little more free to talk and express sexuality. Uh, that's fine. Don't forget, though, we come back to the point. The way he did that was by using women as objects. The way he did that to express and to free up that sexuality was by using women as objects. And, I, and I, he normalized porn. That's what he did. And I don't think that even he thought that what he was going to do back when he started in 1953, I don't even think he th- imagined what would change in his lifetime. Because our culture has become hyper, hyper, hyper sexualized. Turn on your TV and watch for an hour. And there will be commercials, music, videos, movies, whatever else. We are hyper, hyper sexualized. And maybe some people are saying right now, Radley, you're a prude. Get over yourself. Hugh Hefner was not a bad guy. I didn't say he was a bad guy. I said what he did. I'm very confused by how so many people today are holding this up as a bastion of a great thing. When we are living in a society where so much effort is being made into equality and treating women and treating people as equals. Let me go to Randy. Randy's on the phone. He's been waiting patiently. Randy, thanks for calling tonight. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. How are you doing?
0: I don't know. Most times I go along with you. And I, this is, I'm 63 and my God, I've listened to talk shows all my life and I've never phoned into one. So I'm glad
1: we could convince you to finally tonight.
0: You did. And you're still getting under my skin. I, God damn, I, oh, pardon my language. Uh, I don't know. I think what he did was, you know, it's like the the gay thing, you know, 20, 30 years ago. He opened up the closet door. Before, you know, he came along with a magazine. You know, all you got to do is go on the internet. You can see pictures from the 20s, uh, the 30s, the 40s. You know, if you want to label pornography, I don't know. I'm I'm talking about half a, you know, clean pictures that you can put on one of those old viewfinders and watch nothing nothing sexual, uh, and, and he was the same way, he kept it clean, and if you look at the first pictures were Marilyn Monroe, she was a big star, especially at, at that time, uh, and all the celebrities over the years, even Dolly Parton went on there, uh, it was a classy thing. So all, I think he enabled women.
1: Okay, right, let me ask you one question though on that one. And I appreciate your comment. And I've always said, as I said earlier in the show, you are free to disagree with me. And I appreciate you calling in and doing that.
0: And, and I appreciate you listening.
1: One question for you, though. Do you have daughters?
0: I have one. Yes, I have actually uh, three daughters.
1: Okay. How would you be if either of your three daughters had said, you know what, Dad? I've decided that in order to help enable the sexual revolution, I'm posing nude in Playboy.
0: I guess if uh, she was old enough, that I thought she she had her own uh, mind and she deserved to have her own decisions in life. She was mature. Uh, it doesn't even do with the maturity. She was old enough. Uh, She's the one making that decision.
1: Uh, no, no, and that's, that's fine. She's old enough to make that decision. You're not going to stop her from doing it. But how do you feel when all your buddies crack open the magazine and are looking at your baby girl standing there naked? How are you dealing with that, then?
0: Well, again, two ways. I, I wouldn't appreciate it, and I'd certainly be looking probably at the guys around the lunch table <laughs> that are kind of oogling her. Or uh, there might be more people that uh, are saying, you know, good for her. She broke out. She's doing this on her own, and that's the difference that you I think you made tonight. You're saying that all these women got pushed into it, like a dirty hotel room or something with a, a light in the corner and an old 8mm camera running. No, these women made their own choices.
1: Yes, they did. No, they. I, I never said they got pushed into it. They did make their own choices. Uh, and, Randy, listen, thank you for the call. I really do appreciate you calling in tonight.
0: Well, I appreciate the timing a lot of me.
1: Um, look, I, as I say, uh, the idea... It's usually, and even with what Randy said, he's not going to be happy about that. It's great for a lot of people to say, look what Hugh Hefner did. He opened, as Randy says, he opened the doors to allow this. Put yourself, say, okay, wait a second. My mom decides she's going to pose in one of these magazines. My sister decides she's going to pose. My daughters decide they're going to pose. Suddenly it seems a lot less appealing to most people. It's, you know, it's, oh, sure, it's great to look at someone else, but when it's your own person, when you're your own family member and they are now the ones who your friends and your neighbors and your workmates are looking at with that particular way of looking at them, it doesn't usually, for most people, it doesn't seem quite as appealing. It doesn't seem quite as appealing. And and just as I, we're going to be done with this, but Pamela Anderson, you know who Pamela Anderson is. Pamela Anderson was the Canadian model who made her big splash and got her fame from Playboy magazine and was in the, I don't know how many times she was in the magazine. She had a quote today when she she wrote something online or wrote something about how sad she was that Hugh Hefner had passed away. And one of the lines in it really stood out, everything anyone loves about me is because you understood me, she wrote to Hugh Hefner. Let me say that again. Everything anyone loves about me is because you understood me. Now, I don't know if she just didn't write it well enough. But to me, again, this is sad that you've got someone whose entire value as a human, she's saying it herself, anyone, any, anything, everything anyone loves about me is entirely because Hugh Hefner put her naked into a magazine and that is the thing that allowed her to be loved by people. See, I don't think it was loved. I don't think it was loved and I don't think she... I don't think that it put her on an equal plane with other people. She may have made a lot of money. She may have got a lot of fame. I don't think it, with Hugh Hefner, with this magazine, look, you can disagree. I say I'm, I'm entitled. You can call me a prude, all those other things. But if we are really a society that talks about equality and talks about women not being objects and talks about people not Judging people solely on what they look like. If, if listen, if we want to go down that road, and if that's how we want to be, I think we're going to find an awful lot of people who become an awful lot less happy when all the good-looking people are suddenly the ones getting all the jobs and all the promotions. We don't like to do it on that basis, but that's what this was all about. That's what this was all about. That's why I I, I say today I was very, I was very puzzled. By all the plaudits for Hugh Hefner. He was a man who clearly had tons and tons and tons of talents in the business world and the publishing world. He was a very intelligent man. I was reading today something that his IQ might have been over 150. He was a guy who had a lot going for him. Just don't know that he couldn't have done some more better things for the help of society than this. But you know what? Agree, disagree, radley at 900CHML.com. Send me a note. Would love to hear from you. And again, if you want to disagree, Fire away. Love to hear from you. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900, CHML.